When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I'm sure our listeners will be delighted to know that we haven't got time for me to moan about the fact it's still daylight at half past seven in the evening. <laughs> Plus, it's also pouring with rain, so I'm quite happy. Uh, Kieran, the news, as we just said the other day, the news just keeps on a coming, doesn't it, these days? It's, it's, it's non-stop. We've had yeah. to go and rewrite the script. And, and my big fear is that when we finish recording on a Sunday, I'm thinking, we've got nothing for Thursday's show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and oh, oh. Oh, 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 me of little faith! Yeah. Uh, the the industry never lets us down. Yeah, I've just I've just written down the words: rewrite the script? Question mark? Smiley face emoji. Uh, <laughs> first of all, Kieran, I was astonished yesterday to see um, there was a parliamentary committee going ahead that you didn't seem to be part of. I, I'm fairly certain that even the Boris Johnson inquiry last week, you were sitting just behind Michael Fabregan in case a football finance inquiry came up during the middle of it. But yes, so you weren't there, but um, the head of the Premier League was there and he didn't look too happy about it, did he? Yes. So this is the sort of the the oral evidence committee following the publication of the white paper. And if if anybody wants a a full transcript, go go to the government website. Uh, it uh, it, It is all there in its full glory. So we had... Kevin Miles from the Football Supporters Association, Tracy Crouch, Debbie Hewitt, who's the new head of the FA, Rick Parry from the EFL, and Richard Masters. And it has to be said that I think the first four uh, conducted themselves very well, got their messages across. Um, Tracy uh, you know, intimated that uh, the the Premier League hadn't always been as helpful as perhaps people would have liked. Um, so the committee picked up on this, and when Richard Masters came to the table, I think it's fair to say he was uh, lightly barbecued. Mm. Um, so they they asked him, had the Premier League tried to kick the white paper or the, the fan-led review into the long grass? And, and he, he looked surprised and said, well, no, I don't know where you got that from. And they said, well, Tracy suggested it about 10 minutes ago. And he goes, oh, well, I don't recall it like that. Mm. Um, but to be fair, the the, uh, the members of Parliament who were, were forming the committee uh, st- stuck to their guns and, and gave him a pretty hard time. He, he's, he, he effectively said that the Premier League weren't happy about it, but they now they didn't have any choice. Uh, and he also, I think he's, he's got a bit of a bit of an own goal by saying, "Well, you know, when the trust government was in charge, mm. um, you know, th- th- it wasn't going to go ahead." And mm. everybody sort of went, "We we try not to remember the trust government." <laughs> you know, let's, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring that up. It's 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 a bit a bit it's a bit like a racist uncle at a wedding. You know, you, the, everybody tries to pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so. There, there has been some progress, it would appear, between the Premier League and the EFL with regards to a change in the financial distribution of monies. But the sticking point, um, and this didn't necessarily come from what we heard yesterday, but uh, it certainly uh, appeared in, in other publications, the sticking point appears to be in relation to parachute payments, the EFL are quite adamant that they should be abolished and the Premier League's going, it makes the Premier League better. And uh, in my view, they've got a point. I still think they're too long. I still think they're too high. So I think there is is progress to be made. Um, And also, it's a bit hypocritical of the EFL to be opposed to parachute payments when the EFL have parachute payments themselves. So I think think, the EFL aren't uh, aren't exactly uh, looking too far inwardly there. 
But uh, th- there was broad agreement. Um, I think it was interesting listening to to what was said uh, by Debbie Hewitt in respect of grassroots football. And you know, from my perspective, I'm thinking, well, well hold on, you know, grassroots football is, is a much broader issue. This is to do with central and local government funding of parks and public places and school funding as well. Um, and whilst I think that the Premier League uh, doesn't help itself at times to to effectively say that 20 ultimately quite small companies should be responsible for the funding of, of grassroots sport and, and the benefits that that brings in terms of health, community and so on. Um, I think that's, that's a slightly uh, more political issue. Kevin Miles was absolutely brilliant, as, as he always is, and we'll have to get Kevin on the show. Absolutely, he's, he's, uh, yeah. uh, he's always uh, ab- he's extremely well briefed, very funny, and uh, is quite good at skewering those people who are, uh, should we say, on the wrong-uns list of, of football. So that's, that's where we left it. Um, Richard Masters, by the end, was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's having a look of you know a, a bloke who's a bloke who's at a party who's accidentally followed through. He had that face of just <laughs> s- slightly just wishing he wasn't there. Yeah, uh, we should also get Kevin Miles on because he's got a wonderful broadcasting voice. It's always a pleasure yes. to hear Kevin Miles. Um, it didn't help a, a bit later on that Richard Masters was um, I wouldn't say ambushed. But it, it seemed that uh, he was confronted with the notion that the Newcastle story hasn't gone away as much as he thought it might have done in terms of who actually owns the club. Yes. So he was asked um, by one of the committee, um, could you confirm that you are not investigating the ownership issues of Newcastle United? Yeah. To which his reply was, I, effectively, I can neither, neither confirm nor deny. And they go, well, it's quite a simple question, Richard. Mm. He says, well, we o- we only ever we only ever go and uh, confirm things when we uh, reach a final decision. And I'm going, and other people are going, well, hold on. Manchester City said in their accounts six months ago that they were being investigated by the Premier League, yeah. and the Premier League effectively agreed with this. So you you, you can't have it both ways. Um, so there has been an issue in the United States with regards to the Saudi Arabian public in, uh, public investment fund and the Live Golf uh, symposium or emporium, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there, the, the Saudi Arabian government has said it can't be investigated by a US court because it's effectively part of a sovereign government and therefore the US has no jurisdiction over the activities of PIF. And if that's their viewpoint, that's perfectly entitled to it. How does it impact upon Newcastle? Well, Newcastle have been told and the Premier League have been told that PIF is not directed by the Saudi Arabian government. So uh, it's a bit messy. Um, I suspect... um, there, there are things taking place. I suspect Newcastle will be um, firing up that uh, the equivalent of the of the bat light over Gotham City with a Nick DeMarco shaped uh, <laughs> beam into the clouds to to try to address this. So, so we we await with interest um, as always. Uh, and yes, it, it was. Uh, it, it was it was a tough time for Richard Masters. You know, I, I wouldn't have been wanted to be, and, and he kept making reference to unintended consequences, and, and unintended consequences has become one of these new buzz phrases of, oh well, yeah, there could be something lurking in the shadows. We, we don't want the, the politicians to take control of this. My understanding, if I'm talking to one or two politicians, is that they want to get nowhere near this because they can just see it could be you know, an, an absolute car crash in terms of being linked to any one political party. The next football club that goes bust and whether we have a regulator or not, it's it's it might reduce, and ideally it will reduce the chances of a football club going bust, but it can't guarantee it, just as though you know, increasing police numbers can't guarantee that all crime will disappear. So um, politicians don't want to get involved with this, uh, but uh, Richard Masters was sort of playing the, the bogeyman charge, and, and we are also seeing this from some of the more libertarian uh, commentators uh, with regards to football. 
I suppose to continue your colourful analogy about Richard Masters at the end of a party, having followed through, that would be also an unintended consequence as well, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and also I think we should point out that Newcastle may not approach Nick DeMarco because I believe in these circumstances it's what the, the legal profession calls first cab off the rank. It's just I suspect Nick might be the first cab off the rank in this situation. We've been talking, Kieran, a lot about the streaming of EFL games recently, and now there's a potential new player on the block when it comes to broadcasting games outside the Premier League. Yes, this is in respect of the EFL deal, um, which is presently with Sky, and it's worth £119 million a year. Um, and it looks as if the uh, the... the the broadcaster DAZONE, um, wants to buy the rights to every single EFL match. And therefore, that would include those matches which kick off at 3 o'clock on a Saturday, mm. which would mean the the current rules with regards to the blackout uh, disappearing. So yeah, the first person you think about this is, is our friend Andy Holt. And, and to be yeah. fair to Andy, he says... We need more information. But yeah, we, we've got to weigh up the pros and cons of this. Um, if it means an extra hundred million pounds coming into the EFL, then we've got to see. You know, and the EFL talks about, well, the Premier League's not very good at distributing money. I've got to be honest, the EFL itself is not very good at distributing money between the EFL because eighty percent of it goes to the clubs in the Championship, mm. and therefore. <laughs> A club like Accrington Stanley, which is in League One, just gets twelve percent. And if Accrington get relegated, and you know they're not having the greatest of seasons, that drops to eight percent. So they get one tenth of the broadcast money that the clubs in the Championship uh, are entitled to receive. So, as always, the devil will be in the detail. Andy is not necessarily uh, the luddite that some people paint him to be. What he wants is. If this money is going to come in, how is it going to be distributed between the home team and the away team? Uh, and for a club like Accrington, which can get up to 30% of its matchday income from away fans, you can understand why he wants to protect his position. Equally, you can understand why those bigger clubs, and we know who the bigger clubs are with, with the bigger, big support, um, why they say, well, yeah, we've got the fan base, so surely we should have more of the money. It's that it's that trade-off between establishment and trying to get some, some uh, attempt of uh, distribution, which in- ensures a greater degree of competitive balance. So the zone are interested. Sky, I would imagine, will be quite keen to protect what they have because they've got a good relationship with the EFL. Uh, we've also heard about the Scandinavian group, which is called Viaplay. They're supposed to be interested. Well, and this is all fantastic news from the EFL because the more people you've got interested, the more you can bid up uh, the numbers. So if we go from £119 million a year, there's, there's talk of that going up by you know, the best part of £100 million. Um, that's more money to distribute between the, the 72 clubs. And then, of course, it comes down to the detail of, okay, we've got a bigger pie. How do we slice it? DeZone. That's how, that's how they're pronouncing, is it? DeZone. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with the kids, Kevin. You, you are. with the kids. Well, well, it might help if they put the O and the E in there. I mean, <laughs> they're playing very cavalier. They put one vowel in and forget the... Oh, if that's how they want to pronounce it, it's entirely up to them, Kieran. We have yet to reach a stage where things are... Decided by what we say on the pod, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yes. Some better, excuse me, some better news, Kieran, for playing staff at Wigan Athletic this week. Yes, um, player wages have been paid. Um, the players have come out with a very strongly worded statement, indeed, um, to say that. They have uh, received inaccurate information from the club historically over the course of the season. They're professional footballers. They want to play football. They've got to be treated like professionals. Um, the Wigan chairman, Talal Al-Hamad, has said, this will not happen again. And then he says, oh, I have said that before, haven't I? Um, <laughs> so it's so probably, probably not helping his, his case. Um, but it looks as if there, there could be some form of new charges by the EFL. And I've, I've not read the, the document. I've been reading lots of documents. Um, but the EFL has said, and again, fair play to them, um, they want Wigan to put 125% 
of the expected wage bill each month into an account well before the wages are paid and the EFL will make sure that that money goes in. Well, I don't think that's happened. Right. And therefore, Wigan could be subject to further charges if they don't adhere to this request um, over the over the forthcoming months. So, so that's that's not good. You know, Wigan are not in a great position in the table. The three points deduction that they have had has certainly made it more challenging for their attempts to stay in the championship and the financial benefits that that brings. See, this is where I wish we could put a bat signal up to get Nick DeMarco on the phone because I'd be interested in the legal status of a request from the EFL to do that. Um, is is that within the EFL's remit to ask them to do it? And if they request it, surely the club can politely decline that, can they? Well, if it's part of an agreed settlement in ah, respect of a right. business plan, which right. I suspect it is, right. okay. um, with the alternative of, right, we're going to give you further charges because of the number of times that you failed to pay wages. And again, what the EFL doesn't want to do is to have lots and lots of points deductions. But we've we've got one for Wigan. Potentially, we could be having one for Reading, although that story seems to have dried up, which is you know, potentially good news for Reading itself. Um, relegation and promotion and playoffs should be determined by what happens on the pitch, mm-hmm. and rather than uh, you know the, the the conclusions of an individual panel or commission. But at the same time, financial deterrents in respect of owners don't seem to work. Finger wagging doesn't seem to work. So, what are the alternatives that are left for the regulatory bodies? So it's better news for Wigan's playing staff, Kieran, but unfortunately it's a pattern being repeated not far down the road, isn't it? Yes. Um, And again, this is a club that appears too often on the price of football. We've always said, you know, once every six months, (laughs) that's great. You know, we'll have a chat. You'll have done something new, uh, you know, new sponsors. Yeah, we'll have have, have a, a bit of a natter about it. But Morecambe FC have been fairly regular. Yeah. Topics um, and this in res- this is in respect of the March wages, where one of the co-owners said um, that they may be late, and they go, "Well, they're either going to be late or they're not going to be late." So, yeah, you know, what on earth going on here? Um, but the the owners are trying to sell the club, and we have spoken before about the prospective new owner, who is a twenty year old soft drinks mogul from Solihull. And I read that and I instantly think, Bucktooth Girl from Luxembourg. I don't know about you, Kevin, but that that hit me. Um, and that takeover is proceeding very slowly. So therefore, if the owners had hoped to have sold the club by now, they have failed to do so. Um, they say, therefore, that's given them a liquidity challenge. Um, but then this morning, and this came through on my company's house feed at 0124, <laughs> um, which I can imagine how pleased the Baroness was when that happened. Um, the the parent company, which is Bond Group, um, they are subject to a winding up order um, in respect of non-publication of their accounts. And what the parent company has also done is they have invoked companies' accounts, uh, sorry, uh, Sorry, Companies Act 2006, Section 442, which is my favourite section number because it's it's 442. Um, But it does say that if you change your financial year end by one day, it allows you to delay publishing your accounts for three months. So Morecambe should have published their accounts um, by the end of March, and now they've got another three months' grace. It's poorly drafted legislation, in my view, um, because it has been taken advantage of by um, some uh, owners of big organisations. I'll mention no names, but might involve a former former owner of Newcastle United, for example. Um, and therefore, we don't know the extent of Morecambe's finances, which is – is disappointing. Uh, you know, if, if owners want to say something to the media, that's great, but there has to be a greater emphasis on being upfront uh, and being transparent and not hiding behind um, poorly drafted legislation to to avoid disclosing the state of the cl- club's finances. Mm. You know when you get your notifications from Companies House, is there a special ting 
is there a sound effect that Gail goes up, bloody company's house again? Have you thought about maybe getting a burner phone to get your messages from company's house on? Um, and also, Kieran, I have to say, in the two minutes that you gave me, I'm afraid that reference part of the, the Bucktooth Girl from Luxembourg. I can't remember whether that's up there with the Russian Mafia sisters, or I'm guessing it's some kind of early 80s pop reference. Is it, Kieran? It is. It's uh, it's Ask by the Smiths. Ah. Oh, blimey. I'm going to get in trouble with Ali for that. Crikey. <laughs> well, well done. If anybody had that in their sweep, congratulations. They're definitely the winner of this week's This week's ITV7's gone out of the window, apart from the person who had Bucktooth Girl from Luxembourg. Um, surprising news coming out of Tottenham this week, Kieran, in, in the same way that <laughs> seeing a bear going into a forest with a copy of the Sunday paper and a toilet roll under his arm <laughs> would be surprising. I don't know why they've done it, Kieran. Clearly, they've, they're upset about something. But Antonio Conte, has, I was going to say left Spurs by mutual agreement, but he hasn't really, has he? He's been sacked. How much is that going to cost them? Well, um, you know, the the beauty is in the in the fine print of his uh, contract of employment. Uh, there was a twenty four point one million pound settlement in Chelsea's accounts in twenty twenty one, which was superbly and vaguely referenced as a a legal dispute, huh. um, which has now been settled. Uh, and everybody knows that Conte, when he was sacked by Roman Abramovich, says. Nobody sacks me and gets away with it scot-free. Mm. Um, so it looks as if uh, Antonio Conte was uh, well compensated for being sacked by Spurs, sacked by Chelsea. Now, in relation to his position at Spurs, uh, it is estimated that his contract, which was due to expire on the 30th June, would cost Spurs somewhere in the region of £4 million for the last three months or so of the, of the financial year. There is uncertainty, however, if Spurs qualify for next year's Champions League because this might invoke a clause which some journalists are saying could be worth up to £15 million. Now, presently, um, Spurs are in fourth position, if I recall correctly, although Newcastle have games in hand. Um, as do Brighton, has to be said. Uh, um, it doesn't have to be said, Kieran, but you know, <laughs> it, was, it was very much, very much optional, that one, Kieran, but yeah, fair enough, crack on. <laughs> um, so where that stands from a legal point, we'll have to wait until the end of the season. If Spurs are still fourth, uh, will Mr Conte uh, be advising his legal representatives to say, well, I contributed towards that fourth place finish and the, the financial benefits that that brings to Spurs. So um, where, where do we stand with regards to that? So, yeah, he, 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 won't, he won't go short um, regardless of all this. And uh, what, what I would say to Spurs is if they're, thinking of recruiting uh, a new manager, probably not a good idea to go for a volatile Italian. (laughs) Your manager's quite good, Kieran. Maybe they could look just down the road. That's worked for Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but he's Italian and volatile, our manager. Okay. Um, Is he volatile? I don't know much about him, Kieran, surprisingly. He's he's been red-carded. He's been banned twice already. Uh, he said four yellow cards and one red card from. Uh, yeah, well, we love it. You, 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 can, yeah, you can imagine as fans, he he's, he's goes absolutely disco uh, at the referees. Well, also at the wine waiter as well, I imagine, if the Pinot Grigio turns up <laughs> less than properly chilled. Um, talking of Chelsea, Kieran, you've mentioned a few times in the last couple of weeks that the Premier League have entered into a, I think, what we can only call a hold my pint phase. Um, yes. and, and suddenly, from, from being quite like a, like an elderly lion in a tree for the last couple of years, they, <laughs> they really have sprung into action for some reason. We don't know why that might be, but um, mm. their, their latest spat is with is with Chelsea. Well, um, this could be a bit of two and two equals five in some of the newspapers, uh, okay. but. Chelsea did uh, did publish, uh, and this is something that I particularly loathe, they published on their website effectively a one-pager saying these are the financial results. 
um, and gave a sort of a dotted history as to, or potted history, shall I say, as to what has happened over the course of the season 21-22. The long and the short of it is that Chelsea lost £121 million. And therefore, some commentators have said this could result in a uh, the club being close to a breach of financial fair play rules. Um, I got out the trustee spreadsheet, and I think Chelsea are actually quite well within the Premier League limit. I'm not necessarily so certain that they are within the uh, UEFA limits for financial fair play, uh, which is €30 million. Now, it could be that Chelsea finish 10th this season and therefore don't play in Europe next season, and therefore it it, it becomes a non-issue. But... They, they have lost a lot of money in, in recent years. They, they do have a lot of inventory, and it's a horrible word to say, mm. but, you know, because we're talking about young men, but they, they do have Mason Mount, Connor Gallagher, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, all players who have come from the academy. So therefore, anything they sell those players for is pure profit from, a, from an FFP perspective. So I, I don't see it as being a bit of a, a huge issue, but... Uh, there, there will be complications if they do breach the rules or potentially breach the rules. And then where do we stand with regards to the government's decision to freeze Chelsea's assets in March 2022? Because Chelsea weren't allowed to sell merchandise. They weren't allowed to sell uh, match day tickets. They say that they they lost some players because they weren't able to negotiate with those players whose contracts expired at the thirtieth of June, and therefore, you know, I think Christiansen left, uh, uh, some other players left, uh, Rudiger left, and yeah. they say, well, you know, they, they might have stayed, in which case they wouldn't have cost us anything, and we've had to go out and spend, you know, more than God in in uh, over the course of the last transfer windows um, and that was all due to that was due to that nasty UK government uh, freezing the assets of our fragrant russian owner and and chum of vladimir putin yeah we, we have talked about this issue before kieran the whole petty cash god thing and yes. how he probably doesn't need to be tied down to financial the, the, there was one journalist in particular who seemed to be quite um buzzy shall we say about the rudiger transfer being uh, not dodgy or suspect, but being under investigation. But also a couple of journalists off the back of this story have suggested that, as you say, it was around this time last year that their assets were frozen, but also suggesting that by then Chelsea had banked most of the income from that season anyway, so it wasn't Mm. perhaps as big a financial problem for Chelsea as it was made out to be at the time. I agree with you entirely. Uh, the, The broadcast money, that's completely independent of of the assets being frozen. Chelsea had already sold season tickets, uh, and they've got you know, at least twenty seven thousand season tickets. Many of the the tickets for individual matches are sold way in advance of the matches taking place, so it, it tends to be away tickets. Um, yes, they would have lost a, a bit of money from merchandise sales. Chelsea are also saying, well, we, we, you know, it made it more difficult for us to uh, negotiate uh, front of shirt and uh, uh, sleeve shirt deals. But uh, the, the whale fin deal that they did sign for 22-23 is by all accounts a record deal. So um, yeah. People say things, and then when you when you actually go in amongst the amongst the weeds and you start to dig out the numbers, sometimes the numbers don't back up the, the claims. Mm. And is there a reason why this particular journalist picked out the Rudiger transfer as a specific example? Well, it looks as if Rudiger had signed a pre-contract. Uh, with is it Real Madrid or Barcelona? Yeah, Whoever yeah. it was, he'd signed a pre-contract before Chelsea. Chelsea's assets were frozen, so therefore, how can Chelsea use this as an excuse uh, because the player was going to leave anyway? Yeah, it, it will be one of those two clubs, Kieran. And let's let's leave it at, at that because our listeners will love tweeting in to tell us uh, which one it is and how we were wrong about yes. the other one. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. We have a, a little run now, Kieran, of stories um, about grounds, mm. which on the face of it, as Max of the Day would say, look like it's it's too good and, and too bad. Um, so the first two which look like good stories are Oldham and Swindon. Yes, I think that both of these are good. Um, Oldham have been through some pretty tough times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the previous owners were uh, erratic. Uh, there were issues with regards to part of the stadium because uh, that was owned by a company called Brass Bank, which isn't a bank, uh, by the way. Oh. Um, but the, the new owners have come in and they, they do seem to have galvanised the fan base. Everybody's now rowing in, in the same direction. So Oldham are now owned by a company called Groco 510, and another company, uh, again owned by the club owners called Groco 520, has taken over Brass Bank and has settled the vast majority of Brass Bank's outstanding mortgages. So um, we have the, all of the ground being owned by the, the same people, um, and I think that's that's got to be welcomed. So a, a bit of uh, a bit of peace of mind for Oldham fans, um, and, and now they can start to focus on on what's happening on the pitch. And yeah, they're that Oldham, Oldham fans travel in decent numbers mm. um, in the National League and they're getting some pretty decent crowds themselves as well. So I think there's that, that's a positive story. Um, we've, had, we've had issues, again, with previous owners of Swindon Town, but it looks like the new ownership team under uh, Clem Morfuni, um, they have uh, made an agreement to acquire the county ground for £2.3 million, of which he's putting up 50% of the money and 50% is effectively coming from fans group. I think there was a, uh, a, a there was a fans trust which did receive a substantial amount of money um, and, and that has gone into uh, the purchase of that, that ground. Um, this means that, that Swindon can plan with a degree of certainty um, and, and we have said from day one separation of football ground from football club isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it also isn't necessarily a good thing. So they've now got the uh, the purchase of the ground, which means that they are in a stronger position to uh, move forward with you know, more use of hospitality and commercial, you know, development of individual areas, fan zones, whatever it's going to be. But uh, that you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between owning a house and renting a house. Um, you, you do have more flexibility as to what you can do with the assets. Yeah, I, I, I'm really pleased, Kieran, to bring some good news to Oldham fans. And in particular, a very old and dear friend of mine, Chris England, who along with Nick Hancock does a, a wonderful pod called The Famous Sloping Pitch. Uh, oh, yes. And Chris has been an Oldham fan since he was a child. He's the same age as us is. Uh, uh, and every time I see Chris, I say, have you listened to the price of football yet? And I won't do his accent because he'll get cross, uh, although that's his default situation for most guys. <laughs> so, uh, I say, have you listened to the price of football yet? And he says, no, because it's, there's only a bad news about Oldham, to which I've said, that's not our fault, Chris. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're not doing that deliberately. <laughs> but now I can phone him and say, well, you can at least listen to this one because we've got some some very good news. And, of course, because I'm so childish – because he won't listen to my pod, I won't listen to his, right. which is shocking, I know. But even though I've been on it, I still won't listen to it. Um, but two clubs, Kieran, and I think we should definitely deal with these separately. So Pete, mm. Peterborough going really well on, on the pitch, a brilliant result against mm. Derby uh, last weekend, but less good news about the ground. Yes, this, this is a strange one. And we've just been saying in respect of... Uh, Swindon that uh, having football club and football ground under the same ownership has benefits. Mm. Well, that's not the case at Peterborough United. Peterborough United are tenants of the stadium, yeah. and the um, the owners 
of the the property asset have gone into receivership um, with themselves are in dispute with a company which appears to be connected to and I might have misread this appears to be connected with one of the owners of of uh, of the club itself so it all oh, seems okay. quite circular and messy um Darren McAntony who is the the very shy and retiring uh, <laughs> chairman of Peterborough United he says it's good news. There's nothing to worry about. The club isn't itself in chance of going into administration, um, and uh, you know he says, "Yo, know, don't don't fret." What I would say with regards to this, and, and uh, this uh, this is something which you know, we have been asked about in the past. Peterborough United um, last year uh, launched the, the posh bond. Yep. Now that was yep. a effectively uh, a debenture deal uh, a, a, where. Fans could loan money to the football club. They would get a rate of interest. They would get a bonus if Peterborough were were promoted. But ultimately, it was an unsecured loan, um, with with the with the benefits and 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 the negatives that go along with that. So um, again, sh- sake of transparency, I bought into this. I always try to buy into football schemes if, if I if I can, because uh, I think it's uh, then you get to see things through the eyes of. Of, of different stakeholders within the game. Um, so so where does this leave the bondholders? Well, at present, you know, it's full steam ahead because the the uh, the loan arrangement is with Peterborough United Football Club. It's nothing to do with the owners of the stadium. Um, what could happen in terms of the receivership of the ground, the receivers now have a responsibility to get the best possible deal. Uh, Peterborough have a long-term rental agreement could the owners sell the ground to a new landlord? Where does that leave the football club from a legal perspective? I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it makes you feel slightly more uneasy than you did before the owners went into receivership. What happens, Kieran, if the owners of the ground who have gone into receivership, if the receivers get an offer which is a or the only one or the best one, mm. But it depends on the ground's property value, if you like. So, so, so somebody says we will buy this ground, but we are going to turf the club out and turn it into flats. How does that work in terms of? Could that happen? Well, I think you would have to look at the covenants that exist with regards to the right of use for right. the, the property assets. Okay, right. So, what we could see here is the council say. Well, you're not allowed to do that, and we're going to make it damn awkward if you do try to right. launch an appeal. Um, so, I would imagine that would be the approach that was taken by the lo- local council. Um, after all, there there are, and I don't know whether this is applying to Peter, that we are coming up to to local elections, um, and it would be fairly foolhardy for politicians of any one party to say, actually, you know, we 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 don't care what happens to the ground in future. Um, yeah, we, we just want the highest price. So the receivers do have a duty that you know it's part of their remit to try to uh, to maximize the price. Um, I would imagine that there are some checks and balances in favor of the football club uh, in terms of alternative use. So you know that that's where the fingers would be crossed. But worst case scenario, if it is uh, if, if there are opportunities for either retail or domestic use um, for for the uh, the plot of land, uh, and speaking as somebody that supported a football club which is now occupied by Toys R Us, yeah. uh, a, a shop in which I refuse to shop because that's what you should do as a football fan. Um, yeah, you, you've you've got to check the small print. Well, also you're a grown man, Kieran, so it's very unlikely for you to be shopping I, in there. I, I'm, I'm not grown up. Kevin. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, <laughs> Also, you and I, Kieran, have been to uh, several away games at Peterborough, and their fans could be quite feisty. I, I wouldn't get on the wrong side of them. Yes. But now, this this last story uh, about grounds, Kieran, is confusing me slightly because it says here that West Ham are in the middle of a secret multi-million pound row <laughs> with the owners of the London Stadium. Um, and I, I did a bit of cursory research on this because I was uh, – intrigued by the word secret and indeed the two newspaper articles as well from major tabloids say Mm. it's a secret uh, argument and and goes on to explain exactly what the secret argument is about yes um for people not familiar with what has happened at the london stadium um 
it's a fantastic deal for West Ham. They, I think they are now paying, uh, in order to have a, I think it's a 62,000 capacity stadium, they are paying around about £3.5 million a year in rent. But uh, LLDC, who are the landlords, they have to provide the stewarding. They have to provide the corner flags. They've got, I think they're responsible for watering the pitch. They're responsible for, for all of the maintenance with regard to the ground. So um, it's it works out extremely well for West Ham. Now, LLDC, um, they are losing around about £20 million a year. And there has been reference, I think, that they've been budgeting for total losses of Two hundred million pounds uh, with regards to issues relating to the London Stadium, um, and the auditors have said well, that two hundred million. We think it could be a wee bit more. Um, so that's that's the position um, now. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Daniel Kretinsky did buy a stake in West Ham, mm. and it was felt at the time that uh, the the existing West, West Ham owners would not have to give any of the profits of that sale to LLDC because it wasn't a, a controlling interest. Um, but we're, we're not we're not quite sure. We, you know, we've not seen the the small print. Um, West Ham fans, and, and there's a lot of them who put out some absolutely fantastic information, the likes of uh, the likes of Clara and Hugh and so on, and uh, XWHU employee. They they seem to uh, they seem to have a lot of connections um, for those people that like to follow these things. Um, it according to the article, LLDC have incurred seven million pounds worth of legal fees. Um, with regards to this ongoing spat with West Ham, um, there is a case for saying that West Ham are waiting for these losses to get higher and higher and then going to come in and put in a ridiculously low ball figure to take mm. the stadium off the hands of, of the council. Um, and then West Ham, of course, will be able to have naming rights for the whole stadium and pick up all of those naming rights. At present... Um, I think if there is naming rights for the London Stadium, LLDC get the first four million, and then there's a share arrangement between the football club and and the landlord. So lots and lots of small print, lots and lots of work for the lawyers. Hence LLDC seven million pounds um, into the red with with their legal costs, and uh, and I say their legal costs, I mean your legal costs, mm. citizens of London, um, because ultimately it's coming out of uh, you know the, the overall London budget. You talk about the small print, Kieran. There's one bit I didn't understand in my admittedly cursory research is that we've been led to believe in the last four or five years since the deal happened that it was a completely one-way deal that West Ham uh, got everything they wanted for a bargain price. LLDC were stitched up. And yet now we're being told that there's this clause – Whereas with West Ham get a new owner, a new profit, LLDC get a share of that. Have I have I got that right? Yes, yes, you have. So I think the deal was that should um, you know we know David Gold's recently sadly passed away, Indeed, but should yeah. David Gold and David Sullivan sell the sell control of the football club within a set period of time, um, and uh, yeah, I've spoken to people who say. They have been offered eight hundred million for the club historically, mm. um, and they were looking for a billion. So that's why the deal didn't go through. Got no idea how the accuracy of that, but I think Karen Brady has put similar comments upon her website um, that a proportion of those profits would have gone to LLDC. Um, but I think there is a deadline, and that deadline is either twenty uh, summer of twenty three or summer of twenty four. So it was a it was a timed deadline to stop uh, to stop Golden Sullivan. Just saying. Well, this is a fantastic deal for us. We're off ski straight away um, and, and sailing oh, to the right, sunset. Okay. Um, so, so therefore, they had to commit to uh, being tenants themselves for a period of time. And then, once the deadline has gone, they would not have to pass across any of the profits of sale. Mm. There's been very high-profile news this week, Kieran, of sanctions against William Hill, mm. which probably means that. Sanctions against another gambling company have gone under the radar a little bit, but it does have uh, an impact on two big football clubs. Yes, um, William Hill have been uh, fined nineteen point one million pounds for um, a variety 
of issues in relation to the way that they conduct their business. Um, There is a view that the gambling industry sees fines in exactly the same way as the water industry does. It's it's collateral damage, Mm. and it's cheaper than actually cleaning up their act. So therefore, they take the fines effectively as collateral damage. Um, But in respect of football, um, Rangers and Middlesbrough's shirt sponsor, 32 Red, um, they've been fined 7.1% million pounds um, for social responsibility and any and anti-money laundering failures. Um, the gambling companies are supposed to say, it, an awful lot of money seems to be coming into your account. Mm. Can, can you give us evidence of where it's coming from? Clearly, the gambling companies don't want to do that uh, because they just want your money because the chances are they're going to win. Um, and remember, for the gambling industry, a problem gambler is not one who loses, it's one who wins. Yeah. And actually, they're very, very good at getting rid of those gamblers um, through reducing the the limits on which they can gamble and so on. So, so if you talk to professional gamblers, they, they will start muttering about the behavior of the, the major gambling companies. So um, this, this, this is an awkward one because, you know, Rangers and Middlesbrough are not responsible for the failures of their front-of-shirt sponsor in respect of social responsibility and anti-money laundering failures. At the same time, all of those clubs, whether they're involved in crypto, which has failed, whether they're involved in gambling, um, where where the companies, they they do have an element of responsibility because they should be doing due diligence as to the uh, you know the the social benefit and the social responsibility because you know it's it's a it's a bit like in real life you know you to a certain extent you're judged by the people with whom you keep company and if you, if you choose to not take too much notice of this and uh, there's a very good website called Josimar by the way which has um, also looked at uh, one of Manchester City's betting sponsors or betting partners and that doesn't look too clever either mm. um, it's happening again and again and again um, now you know people say should we therefore get rid of gambling sponsors and crypto sponsors or gambling sponsors certainly as far as football is concerned and I must confess that that my view is that that's not addressing the problem mm. because it's it's not creating behavioural changes, and the gambling industry will still uh, spend a huge amount of marketing on TV, on radio, on perimeter. So, just targeting football clubs themselves isn't addressing the much broader issue as to the the fact that this country's got a bit of a gambling problem. Yeah, one of the most frightening specific incidents of the William Hill. Uh, fine mm. was somebody who'd been flagged up as a problem gambler by William Hill who was allowed to open another account in which he lost £23,000 in 20 minutes yes uh, which is horrifying but on a purely practical level when it comes to Rangers and Middlesbrough and the fact is that Rangers fans and Middlesbrough fans will quite rightly point out you know we're, we're only two years out of a, a, a pandemic mm. yep. money's short you need to get sponsors Gambling's not illegal. There are many, many clubs that have gambling sponsors. A, a fine of seven point one million pounds for thirty-two red would that have an impact on whether they can afford future sponsorship for Rangers and Middlesbrough? No, no. This this is this is a drop in the ocean. Right, okay. um, so, uh, and I I, under, I understand where where football comes from, and I do have a a, a degree of sympathy. Although you know there are clubs, yeah, we know Mark Palios at Tranmere, and he says, "I just feel slightly sordid yeah. by by partnering with such an organisation." So therefore, I don't, I don't want, yeah, and and we ourselves, yeah, we both admit that we both gamble, but we won't have gambling sponsorship, or we, we and we won't have gambling advertising. Certainly in the UK, I know it, it, some of our overseas listeners say, "Well, it's mm. it's creeping through on on the when they down the show." But there's a limit to what we can do here. I think we we are restricted to the UK, and and that's the stand that, that we've taken. We, we're not doing this for virtue signalling because I'll be honest, you know, we both rather we both rather have the money. I, I just don't feel that I can talk to to people whose lives have been affected by gambling, and also I've got you know I've I've said my own family we've had issues with gambling and, and resulting in in members of the family ending up inside, and yeah, that's that's not a pleasant experience. Mm. Um, so it's 
it's a, it's a sensitive issue. It's, in my view, the, the gambling industry has been the biggest beneficiary of the success of the Premier League, and yet it's not contributing as much as it should do. Um, and that's why I, I keep saying that you know, one of the ways of addressing the problems of grassroots football and the gap between the Premier League and the EFL is to say, given that the gambling industry is the biggest beneficiary of football in terms of the money that right and the gambling industry makes far more money out of football than football does itself yeah. um why not take the same approach as we have in in horse racing and, and have a levy on on every football mm. bet and and that goes into grassroots football i i don't know kieran whether we have actually specifically told people this before but we have turned down quite a large amount of money from mm. one particular gambling company to sponsor us uh and it it, in the end, it was an easy decision to make, but it kind of there was a little part of me that went, oh, we'll, "We'll find a way around this. We'll, we'll come up with some funny way to explain why we're being sponsored by these people." But and also there's that other hypocrisy as well, because I, yeah, I, I say I don't gamble. I, I have the occasional bet, and it, yeah. it's exactly the same thing. It, it's just on a different end of the spectrum. Um, our final two stories, Kieran, will take us to some of our favourite people in the world, UEFA and FIFA. <laughs> uh, but before that, one of our favourite clubs um, has, has had a slight decrease in revenue, which is worth flagging up, but I don't think it's anything to worry about, is it? Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is Rotherham. Yeah. Uh, they they are, I think, are normally in the championship one of the best run clubs, although Blackpool have done fantastically well in their first season. Um, Rotherham's revenue fell by twenty percent last season because uh, you know they, they they dropped out of the the championship to uh, League One, and and that's another one of these cliff edges. It's it's just it's just as bad, um, and we've got a yo yo system between the championship and League One, which is just as much of a problem in football as, as that of the Premier League and the Championship itself. Mm. Um, and, and that's at one end of the, you know, a club dropping out of the Championship. At the other end, it cost Bournemouth £55 million. They lost £55 million in getting back to the Premier League last season. Um, they had to pay bonuses of £12 million and, and their chief executive became the first. Uh, and, and this is where I've I got a little bit of sympathy for the Premier League when you find that a chief executive of a club in the EFL Championship is being paid £2 million. Quid. Mm. Mm. Um, to UEFA, Kieran, and one of our favourite Spanish clubs, who uh, Rudiger may or may not be playing for at the moment. <laughs> Remember that bear we spoke about earlier who was going into the wood with his toilet roll under one arm and his <laughs> yes. paper? If he saw this headline on the back of his paper, he might do a bit of a double take because it's not something we're used to. Yes. Um, Barcelona are going to investigate... Uh, sorry, Barcelona are going to be investigated by UEFA mm. over payments made to a former referees official now we have spoken about this we story have, yeah. before um and a bit like how do you deal with issues of this nature it tends to arise from the tax authority think about we are al capone for all of the all of the wrongness that he had within him ultimately it was tax fraud that proved to be his wrongdoing um and i know that hmrc are investigating um some clubs and some club owners um, at present, which will be interesting to see how that that develops. Um, but Barcelona domestically have been accused of corruption, fraudulent management, and falsification of business documents. Mm. Now, in the in the Wrongans WhatsApp group, there's a little test that you have to do <laughs> before you're allowed in. And if you ticked all three of those boxes, you're normally you're normally welcome with open arms. Um, so. UEFA do have the 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 right to to investigate from from their perspective, and you know should these charges be upheld, then the tariff which is available to UEFA is pretty broad and could involve everything from um, points well not points deductions but it would be you know get wage freezes, uh, salary caps. Or the nuclear option is being banned from participation in the competition. Now, there's no evidence of 
referees being bribed. Um, this would appear to be in respect of somebody whose responsibility it was to appoint referees. Um, and, and we don't know the, the, the full detail of why Barcelona were making these payments. And, and the club itself are saying, it's just helping us with uh, uh, you know, a bit of information about the referees, you know, as to you know, favourite car, whether they like to go on holiday, you know, favourite Spice Girl, you know, this this type of just, – just so our players can have a bit of a chat with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, all the, st- uh, the stuff you need to know before you kick off a Champions League final. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, Kieran, it's interesting because we have spoken the last couple of weeks about both the Premier League and the EFL rolling their sleeves up and getting stuck into the uh, the deep water, if you like. It, it It's only sort of anecdotal evidence, but it occurs to me that UEFA have always been slightly reluctant to get involved with anything Barcelona-related. So is it is this one of those things where they felt they have no option but to act because it looks so uh, rum, shall we say? Um, I, th- I think UEFA are treading a very cautious path um, because Barcelona are still one of the three clubs, along with uh, uh, Juventus yes, okay. and Real Madrid, who are championing the Super League. Um, it's a classic case of. If you can do get your revenge, get, get your revenge right, yeah. uh, and and therefore I, I can see why UEFA are just being a little bit cautious, not rushing into it. Um, you know, the, the the best decisions are often the ones which are the most patient. This last story, Kieran, about FIFA has mm-hmm. unsettled me slightly because several times over the past few weeks, we've actually come quite close to saying that FIFA have almost done something right. And I'm slightly worried that we might be about to say the same thing. I'm hoping that I've misread this or that there is some kind of sinister ulterior motive. But at the moment, it does look like this is another feather in FIFA's cap, doesn't it? Well... Ah, great. You said, yes. well, that's, re- yeah. ah, that's yeah. a relief. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. What, what has happened is that FIFA have sanctioned a 70% increase in payments to clubs for release of players for the 2026 and the 2030 World Cup. So we're taking upping the figures to $355 million. Um, so on the face of that, that seems good. Um, but then you go, well, well, hold on. FIFA have also confirmed we've got the increased uh, Club World Club. And uh, this is a way, I think, of uh, of. of encouraging clubs to to buy into FIFA because the clubs initially said, well, hold on, this this expanded Club World Cup, nobody's consulted us and, and nobody's consulted the players, um, but there, there does appear to be a bit of a love-ins taking place between Infantino and UEFA, uh, and clearly UEFA is the one of the most significant um, of the, the confederations. Um, but he said, okay, 70% increase, that's great, but let's take a look at the 2026 World Cup. It's got 16 more teams, yeah. so it's increased in size by 50%. There's 40 more games. It's going to be a longer tournament as well. The FIFA Club World Cup is going to be a much longer tournament. We don't know where that's going to take place. We don't know about the impact that's going to have on domestic timetables as well if uh, it's going to involve I think they said it's a maximum of three clubs from any one uh, particular league so if you've got you know Chelsea Manchester United and Manchester City or Liverpool whoever it's going to be um, playing in this competition and it's going to take three or four weeks in the middle of the season that's going to cause huge disruption um, so uh, you know the the best way in football of of getting people to stop being angry is to give them money, and and that appears to be the approach taken by FIFA. Um, the players keep saying, "What are we going to do?" There, I, I read a report recently that potentially some of the England players could end up having to play football for fifty one weeks of the year, wow. and. Um, and I know people say would have paid a lot of money. Well, yeah, but they're, they're professional athletes, mm. and you know, and and they also have families, and they've also they they're also entitled to a bit of downtime, as is everybody. We've you know, if 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 the prime minister and politicians and bankers and uh, everybody else can go on holiday, um, why should footballers be treated different? Because you know, Roger Federer used to do it in tennis. Tiger Woods used to do it with golf, and you didn't have people moaning about. Oh, Tiger Woods has gone gone away for a couple of weeks. Um, isn't it an absolute disgrace? 
I quite like the idea of Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling going, hang on a second, Kieran Maguire gets a week off. Why is, we, we're not working harder than he is. I, I, I don't. You don't? No, yes, I, I faltered halfway through that sentence. Um, <laughs> uh, tomorrow, Kieran, we have one of our uh, semi-regular interviews. Uh, it's with Tom mm. Montgomery, director of Clandidno Football Club, and it's a really, really interesting one. I, I It's well worth a listen. Um, Absolutely. In the meantime, thank you to everyone who's listening to this one, and thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to uh, everybody uh, who supported us uh, via Patreon. And if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. Uh, and if you'd like a question answered on the show, probably in 2025, looking at our inbox, uh, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you want to support the show in any other way, go onto that app and, and give us a review. And somebody gave us a one-star review this week, <gasps> Kevin. Did they? Said there were... There were too many jibes about Brighton. I'm going, I, th- I think I think at least 50% of the presenters were probably saying there's not enough. <laughs> there was um, uh, a Scottish comedian many years ago who got a one-star review from the Scotsman and Ooh. all over town on his poster plastered words, A-star, the Scotsman, <laughs> uh, which the Scotsman got really cross about and said, no, no, we gave you one star. So he plastered all over his poster, still... A star. <laughs> Brilliant. The price of football. I'm for the fall.